Welcome to Limitless, the blind beginnings podcast where seeing things differently inspires limitless possibilities. This podcast is being brought to you by Blind Beginnings, an organization based in Vancouver, Canada, that supports children and youth who are blind or partially sighted, along with their families. Limitless was created in order to inform, educate, entertain, and share stories from within the blind and partially sighted community, in order to show the world that the opportunities for those who are blind or partially sighted are truly limitless. And now, it is my pleasure to introduce you to your host, the executive director and founder of Blind Beginnings, Sean Marsley. Welcome back to Limitless, the Blind Beginnings podcast. I'm your host, Sean Marsley. Thank you for joining us again this week. We are talking today about learning another language when you are blind or visually impaired. And I have three co-hosts joining me. I have Randy. Hello, Randy. Hello, bonjour. And I have Clement. And I have Ginny. Hello. Bonjour. Uh, awesome. So, Randy, before we kind of hear a little bit more from each of you, you came up with this topic. Can you explain why you wanted to talk about this on the podcast? Well, I, I had the idea um, when talking to Ginny specifically about a language course she was choosing to take at university. Uh, and that kind of kicked the gears in my brain into motion of thinking about my own experience. Uh, I was in French immersion and, you know, it's a lot, it's a very different thing learning a language as a child and learning it as an adult. And then also learning it with, if you have any kind of visual impairment or if you're blind and you need a different, you know, braille versus print, you can't see print to learn a language. You know, when you're a child, a lot of the print is already increased in size. You don't need to ask for it. So you don't really face any differences sometimes. And I just thought it'd be really interesting to talk to people because um, I feel like a lot of people might be scared off of choosing to learn a language because of the things like I just mentioned about print and braille and how to access it basically. Thought it would be interesting to get a few different people's perspectives. Mm-hmm. Jenny, why were you interested in talking about this topic? Similarly to Randy, uh, just kind of some of these conversations that we've started to have. Um, it kind of became interesting to me more so when I was trying to take a French class in my university um, to fulfill a requirement. And I had a lot of challenges. Um, and then eventually I was able to get a requ- the requirement met through another means. With that also, when I was in high school and in elementary school, when you had to learn French a little bit, I used to really struggle. And then in high school, I wanted to continue on with it, but I was told, you know, there's too many academics for you. We'd have to figure out a lot. Um, but if I would have continued on with it, then I wouldn't have had these issues uh, that I was in having in university and as well, like having more resources. So I think for me, it's like, I know a lot of people who are blind or partially sighted are usually pushed away from learning different languages because of these things. And I think that that's an important thing to talk about. I agree. How about you, Clement? Um, Well, you know, mostly I, I, I was very lucky in the sense that when I was in high school, especially I had only one case where the language thing didn't work out. Um, but in, in other in other circumstances, I was encouraged by people to learn because aside from the fact that it was needed, um, I, um, as many people from Blind Beginnings 
are aware, am a bit of a linguistics and words geek. So I like to write. I like to um, learn about different things and learn about different cultures. And part of it is learning a language is, I think, beneficial to uh, people who are blind and visually impaired in a lot of different ways. And one of the biggest things I've found having worked with international students for a number of years, is learning a language really helps you broaden your horizons. I th and I think, this, I think this applies to anybody who is blind or sighted. I think um, being blind makes learning languages more interesting because it gives you a way to connect with blind people from other countries, which is fascinating, at least to me, because it gives an idea that it, it it really shows you and opens your eyes to the fact that not every blind person lives the same way uh, and not every culture handles blind people the same way and not every blind community around the world has similar ideas or similar cultures. And like Ginny and Randy said, uh, all the struggles and the stuff that discourages a lot of people are there as well. And I think that's important to talk about as well. So, yeah, it's interesting. I... I took French all through school, all the way to grade 12, and my family's French on both sides. So I really wanted to learn how to speak French. And I took it in university as well. The first, like, sort of, I guess, the first year of university, my plan was to minor in French. And when I took it in university, everybody else had been in French immersion and could speak it like way better than I could. And my vision was a lot worse at that point. And it was way harder than it had been through high school. So I think being visually impaired does add another element of challenge. Uh, so I think this is a really important conversation. So why don't you guys share which languages you maybe what what your first language was is was I guess and then what additional languages you speak now for me I actually grew up speaking Punjabi and when I started school I was in ESL um and then I slowly started learning English yeah I guess English is actually my second language funny enough even though it's something I speak more of now and then in high school I started learning a little bit of sign language learned a couple words again but then in university I met um, a friend through one of my English classes and she's fluent in sign language and actually teaches it so I paid her um, and I started learning sign language I got to the point where we could have conversations fully in sign language. Um, I haven't done it for a while now, so it is a bit rusty, but it is something I can do. Um, but it was really cool because I'm fully blind. Um, not just wanted to say that in case we have new people listening. Um, so when learning sign language, we actually did a lot of hand over hand or mixed hand sign. So when she was signing, um, I would just be feeling her hands um, and she'd move really fast too. And when I would be signing, like she wouldn't have to do that, but it got to the point where we were moving pretty rapidly and um, people would sometimes kind of watch and be like, Oh, that's really interesting. Um, but it was definitely a really cool experience. I'll go next. Um, I, my first language is English. It's the only language the majority of my family speaks. It's what we spoke at home. Uh, we are French on my dad's side, but far enough back that the immediate family doesn't know any. Um, but my parents chose to put my brother and I both uh, in French immersion when we started school in kindergarten. 
So I actually have uh, graduated with my bilingual graduation certificate. So I did K um, kindergarten through grade 12 in French immersion. So I have an English and a French graduation certificate, also known as the double dogwood in BC, because your certificate is called a dogwood in BC after the flower. And um, the main reason they did that was to open more opportunities for us in the future, and especially being in Canada, it's officially bilingual English French country for any kind of government jobs uh, after a certain level, you French is a requirement basically. And I've actually in the last year gotten a couple of opportunities in government departments for different thing, short-term things, uh, partly because I have the French. Mm. Um, on top of that, then I, uh, when I graduated high school, I thought I wanted to be a sign language interpreter, actually, <laughs> um, which is not something, yeah, I mean, the fact that Ginny and I both have some experience with sign language, and I'm, I'm making the assumption that Ginny's was also American Sign Language, which is also yes. taught in Canada, um, although there are some regional variances, of course, mm -hmm. um, but there are many different languages around the world, British Sign Language, Australian Sign Language, they're all different, so you can't just hop over there and know the same thing. <laughs> um, yeah. So I made it through basically two semesters of that, but because of my eyes and stuff, it was just, it was very uh, physically tiring, mentally tiring. Um, like, you know, you can't close your eyes and, and keep listening to the things the teacher's telling you because it was sign language immersion there. The teacher wasn't saying anything because they were signing. So you missed the half of the conversation because we weren't doing hand over hand signing. This was a mainstream cited sign language class. Um, so I ended up withdrawing from that. Um, and so I have still some basic ability. I've used it a few times in my uh, work career when I've had customers come in and they've either been like asking for a pen or something or, or pointing to something on their phone. I'm like, oh, I can sign a little bit, you know, and I can help them a little bit easier that way for them. Although they usually have to go slower. So maybe it's not easier really in the long run, but, um, and that's just really going to benefit in any, a lot of kind of like public facing jobs as well not that's not the reason I did it but it is a effect of having that extra language that you have you know opened your way for more um you can interact with more people you can help more people and their accessibility is mm -hmm. also increased by the fact that you know some mm -hmm. so I speak Mandarin English uh and Japanese pretty fluently and then I have other degrees varying fluency in French, Spanish, and Korean. Can you read and write in any of those languages, Clement? Yeah, so this is this is interesting because Japanese and and especially uh well, I sh not Japanese. Let's let's put it this way. The Asian languages that I know, Mandarin, Japanese, and Korean are all uh ideographic languages. So they they're written using pictures or pictograms. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. each character instead of a letter actually means something uh is a word on its own so it, an example would be something like uh the the word for people is 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 the picture of a mouth uh population is the picture of a mouth and a and a boat uh as in like how many people are on or, you know how many people mm -hmm. can you count and so it, it's really weird trying to learn that um, I didn't learn any Mandarin writing growing up, like in the same, very similar boat to Ginny. My parents were far too busy trying to figure out how to raise a blind child, uh, and not 
you know, they didn't really bother with the writing part of Mandarin. Um, <clears throat> so the way, but the short answer is yes, because now with technology, it's possible to learn to write or at least type in those languages. Uh, Braille, I have never gotten to because the issue that I personally struggle with with Braille is the fact that although Japanese and Korean especially, Chinese is a little different, uh, Japanese and Korean use the same six cells that we use, or six dot cell we use in English. Uh, the same com the same combination of dots represents very, very different things. Uh, and so for me, it's like trying to, you know, it'd be like trying to write the letter B and read it as something completely different in another language because uh, you're trying you're trying to kind of decouple yourself from reading the letter B as the letter B and instead of reading it, uh, and instead learning to read it as the Japanese sound uh, E, like the I sound. Mm. So it's very, it is very weird. And so I wouldn't say I can read and write uh, in Braille. Uh, that is a skill that I wish I could do and I am trying to work on. Um, <clears throat> but I can, with screen reading technology, read and type uh, pretty decently in both Japanese and Chinese because those are the ones I use the most often. So this is probably a maybe a good time to to make sure everybody knows that Braille is not a language. It's it's a code that basically takes instead of the letters, it's a symbol. And yeah. to, to clarify on, I, I did some research about this a while ago, and the because I was curious about this, and because uh, I had some conversation with some friends, and the reason Braille is not considered a language where something like sign language might be is because Braille is missing three things specifically. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have its own syntax, doesn't have its own grammar, and it doesn't have its own set of distinct uh, vocabulary yeah. uh, mm -hmm. or phonology or its own sound set. Right. Um, whereas sign language does have its own syntax, grammar, and vocabulary. And that's where yeah, the is. We were discussing this and in, in order to make if you wanted to make Braille language, you would have to either, you would have to create a separate code, I guess I'm going to call it a code, a code for each language and then upload it as like, okay, Braille, English, English, like English, but Braille. Um, or you'd have to create one standard Braille unified code that everyone around the world learned and that it had its own rules. Um, but and like that's not really that possible because everyone in the world speaks different languages. Um, like I was talking to someone and they were trying to um, um, write something in Braille from an indigenous language, but the uh, accent and the word that was written in the indigenous language could not even be translated into Braille because the Braille didn't have um, that sort of the cell or mm -hmm. that accent ability. So Braille would have to be drastically altered um, to become a language. And me and Clement were quite interested in this and we were discussing it. Yeah. Well, when I uh, went to England, I was, I was working at a school for the blind years ago and the French teacher there, you know, saw my last name and got very excited. And because <laughs> I was from Canada, she assumed that I was French and that I could speak French. And I could, cause I had taken quite a lot of French in high school. And, um, but so she wanted me to help with French 
but I <laughs> did French in high school when I could still read print, you know, a couple letters at a time. It was, it was tedious, but I was able to do all of my high school using vision. So I was able to kind of make my way through the textbooks and, you know, do it like learn to read and write along with everybody else. And then all of a sudden I was marking the students work in Braille. <laughs> and I was like, I can't read anything here because yeah, like Exante Goo has its own symbol. And that's the only one I learned. <laughs> <laughs> You're forgetting two more. <laughs> so some of the letters were the same. You know, if, if the word manger, an M was still an M, an A was still an A, an N was still an N. But yeah, when you got to that E, Exante Goo, it was a different symbol. So, and, and, and I, I'm thinking about like, if you're trying to learn a language in high school and your vision teacher who teaches you Braille doesn't know the Braille for that language, like I'm assuming Clement, that would be the situation. If your vision teacher didn't know Japanese Braille, then how are you supposed to take that class? Right. Well, well now it's, it's interesting because of the way things have shifted, uh, Braille displays are now more than capable of translating Braille by themselves. Um, so if you are learning Japanese, um, we're going to use Japanese as an example because it's the most relevant to me personally in terms of my experience. Um, You can use a screen reader in conjunction with the Braille display uh, and whatever your screen reader reads out loud will be translated into proper Japanese Braille. Um, So it's not quite a Braille tutorial, um, but it works in the sense that it helps you to associate the sound with the character you're supposed to be reading. Mm. Um, so it is much more possible now. Uh, so even if your vision teacher can't read Braille, uh, it's very possible for the student to say, okay, well, that's that's okay. I'll, I will ask a friend or um, I will fiddle around with my screen reader and see if there is a Braille translation table for whatever language I want to learn. So German, French, Spanish, Mandarin, Japanese, etc. Hmm. I remember when I was learning French in middle school and elementary school, uh, kind of this issue that you're talking about, Sean, kind of came up. None of my uh, my Braillists or anyone really knew it. Um, I don't want to say we kind of made up our own code. I am only saying this now because when I saw French Braille, it looked nothing like what I used in middle school. But I remember kind of struggling with that too, because there'd be it. it, Again, Braille is not a language, but it kind of felt like I was learning French. And then I was learning French Braille. So it kind of felt like I was learning two things at the same time, Mm -hmm. um, which for me was a little bit um, confusing. And then when I came uh, to university, however, um, I have um, a Braille note and the Braille displays. But um, when I registered for the class, the first thing I got was, well, we can find you an alternate option possibly for your French if you don't uh, think you can do it. And I was like, well, I need this for my honors. And they're like, okay, well, we don't give Braille. And I was like, that's like a major, major problem. Um, they gave um, PDF documents that were not really that accessible. Um, and they were like, well, we can give you a reader and scribe, um, which was hard for me because I'm a very visual learner. 
I really need to be able to look at things and process, not to mention French has different spelling. And Mm -hmm. um, we've talked about this a bit. When you're blind, um, spelling and stuff can sometimes be harder because you're not really reading the things around you. Mm -hmm. So then it was kind of like learning Punjabi, right? I was learning French, but I wasn't spelling it. I wasn't reading it. Um, And it was really hard, especially when conjugating because, you know, etra, right? Um, To be. Uh, there's different endings for different things. So when I would do the test, I'd actually have to spell it out and it would be really hard. Um, as far as connecting a Braille display, again, like I just had fewer resources and not knowing that. So learning that on top of learning French Braille, also I was doing this in the summer semester. I don't recommend that. Um, was unfortunately um, not my forte or my school's forte. I remember even in class, um, I would do everything by listening, which amazed my professor. Um, I don't know how I did it, um, but I would just, I wouldn't take, I, I wouldn't really have the ability to even read the textbook. Eventually we figured out how to switch my keyboard to French so I could write a little bit um, for assignments. And then we switched my language on my phone to French so I could hear my textbook um, just read out in French, which was really hard because it's I'm trying to learn French. So when my textbook is read in French, it's it's like mm-hmm. I, I want it in English and French, right? I want to be able to see it so I can be like, this means this um, as well. Um, and I know that it was, it was really hard because there would always be someone in class from the back row kind of coming to sit next to me and do the exercises, um, even in lab. Um, but it's, it's funny because my professors, I had two were the most accommodating and were always like, you know, you should go into French more. You should go into higher French. And it's, I find it kind of interesting that, it's not the actual French teachers or whichever language teachers that think we can't or shouldn't do it and have trouble with the accommodations. It's the people kind of giving us those accommodations that kind of have been, you know, seen to think that blind people can't learn a language or, you know, these are the accommodations we're going to give you because my grade was suffering because of that. And that's why I did have to drop it and use uh, my Braille and Punjabi as like an alternative. Um, so yeah, Braille was like a huge issue for me. Yeah. When I was talking to Jenny, I kind of compared it to like trying to learn a language from an audiobook and trying oh, to learn it from an audiobook. Yeah. Like you can you can do it, you can learn pronunciation, you can, you know, learn by imitation, but it's a lot harder, especially with you know, similar sounding things, homophones, homo homonyms, you know, words like that, where they sound the same, but they're spelled very different. French has a lot of silent consonants that just sneak yes. in and there, <laughs> where there's like three extra letters that you can't tell from the pronunciation alone. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, on Ginny's behalf, I'm frustrated with her school and the inability to get Braille uh, available when needed. <laughs> yeah, and that's, 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 a real, that's a very real problem. Um, learning I, I I did I did manage to learn with a combination of writing and not so much but Braille is is important when you learn a like la- any language uh, even English um, <clears throat> I, I I believe very very much in Braille literacy because of this reason because as much as we can learn audibly uh, 
you there are things you cannot learn about a language like punctuation and um ideographic marks for stuff like different ways to pronounce certain things in certain languages uh or uh just spelling if you're learning french you won't know those three extra letters are there because no one says them but they're there uh and if you spell it wrong it means something completely different and so braille is definitely very important and it is a huge problem um like Ginny already said because sometimes it's not the mm -hmm. teachers it's it's the people who are making the resources uh need to be aware of the options so even if they can't give you a document they can at least hook you up with the braille display uh, totally. pun, kind of intentional but <laughs> Even if for someone who's fully sighted, a lot of spelling suffers if that person didn't like reading as a kid, didn't read a lot, had trouble reading, and therefore didn't want to do it. Your spelling suffers if you can't read the language. And in this case, it's just that you're reading it tactily with Braille, mm -hmm. but you're automatically your spelling suffers no matter what language it is if you can't see that. Yeah, and I think, I mean, in, in BC, we learn French in school at some stage and often our French teacher is not a French speaker, mm -hmm. especially in the elementary school years, unless you're in French immersion, that's different. But for those of us who aren't, yeah. so if I hadn't been able to read French, I don't, I, I would have learned it all, you know, like the pronunciation wasn't necessarily right. I would go yeah. home and say words to my parents and they yeah. would laugh. Like, that's yes. not how you say that. Uh, that word. And I'm, I mean, they were kind of like, you know, more Quebecois French than mm. the Parisian we were learning at school. So pronunciation was yeah. different anyway. Yeah. But even the, even the Parisian isn't going to be right. If your teacher isn't mm -hmm. an actual mm -hmm. speaker. Yeah. So. I had, I had the reverse of that actually not personally, but in my school, so I'm from a small town for anybody new. So I'm, I'm even amazed there was a French version school, honestly, um, or a program in a school that was split English and French. But there's also a separate program that was called late French immersion, which started about halfway through. And so then the kids who hadn't been in French version in kindergarten, because you can't really start after kindergarten grade one. Um, so they could start in grades five, six or seven and then join us in the regular French immersion classes in grade eight when we all went to the high schools and that that person because it's from a small town, we're a little more desperate for uh, options of teachers. So it was that it, she, she was a French speaker, but wasn't a teacher by mm. any accreditation as, as far as I've heard. Right. So it was just kind of, it was the opposite. And it was kind of ironic. That's like, we'll take anybody. <laughs> small town people. <laughs> yeah. I think my grade eight French teacher was Japanese. So, I mean, she was she oh. spoke French quite well, but... <laughs> just yeah you get what you get <laughs> and I had I think through my career because you never really had well you had a few years in a row that might have been with the same teacher if they were split years or anything like that but I think I had I had a Swiss French speaker I had a Newfoundland or a New Brunswick French speaking teacher I had a, a Belgian French speaking teacher I had a BC born French speaking teacher I like I had all these different accents thrown in too and like you know you, it matters a lot when you're as a child but like mm -hmm. it does you know come up with some interesting things when mm -hmm. I got to grade eight and I wanted to take shoe swap as one of the language options uh you can't if you're still in French immersion and by that point I'd put in 
eight or nine years of French already, not by my choice at the time, but by that point, it's like, well, I've put all this in. I'm going to do another five years and get my certificate. Right. <laughs> you know, I'm not dropping yeah. out now. I, I think for me too, like I want to learn it at some point. Like Randy and I, we've been talking and sometimes we'll just try to talk in French. Really, really bad Jenny Anglophone French, but uh, not Anglophone. Beginner French. <laughs> what is it called where you're English? Not an Anglophone. Yeah. That's yeah. Anglophone? If you're English, that is, <laughs> yeah, that is, that is the, the US, you are an Anglophone. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah, whether that's me taking a course outside of school or me uh, kind of learning it on my own. Um, it was kind of weird that I had to take French for an English degree. It was a lot of people agreed that it was a weird combination. So I'm really glad I was able to advocate and get that waived, especially because I was given incorrect information if you knew other languages and stuff. But I mean, kind of learnt the class environment was fun you know the not having braille and the grades and oh that wasn't fun so maybe it is something i would want to just learn for fun uh like clement did and randy's talking well, in the future. you can you can take a, a like a conversational french class too yes, at any point right yes. and being blind would not be a disadvantage in that situation i yeah. feel like um I, when i was on the national team there were there were always teammates who were french and that was a really cool chance to practice my French and speak and, and hear it and communicate. The one, and the really one helped reason a lot. My French became yeah. fluent was because of all the goalball players. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, just I was just forced Randy through it. <laughs> yeah. The only I just thing that her... saved, was the only thing that made my French different from any other high schooler doing French in BC was having those connections. So it's, it's very true. Uh, you can definitely do a conversational thing, especially now with things being online and um, there's a, oh there's mountains upon mountains upon mountains of resources for you to learn any language you want online conversationally with other people. So that's always an option as well if the academic one doesn't work out for whatever reason. Totally. And it does, I just want to say too, it does have to be a balance, right? Um, those, um, my school does have options for people um, who might not be able to take it, not because they're blind, maybe there's some other reason, right? Um, and those should always be there. Um, but I think, um, you know, immediately jumping to that or on the other end of no, you have to take French, um, you know, otherwise you have to give us a computer science alternative, which was one of my options was a list of things I had to do in weird classes like computer science, which doesn't even make sense, right? So I think it definitely has to be a balancing act and it's individual to the student, right? It's not individual to the disability. Mm -hmm. Randy, were there any challenges related to your vision doing French immersion? So... You know, the thing about starting French when you're four, because I'm a late baby, so kindergarten, I was still four when I started. You don't remember much from back then. <laughs> um, I don't think I did. I already had a pretty good foundation of English reading ability. Um, I apparently knew my alphabet by the time I was two and could read English by the end of grade or kindergarten or so. Um, I know some other people who whose parents spoke like German at home then they didn't have a great foundation in English then they were trying to learn French and so they you know never got great in English spelling and stuff like that but 
Um, it's different when you're learning as a kid because you're being taught to read and taught to read French kind of at the same time, you know? So it was a lot of, you know, pa, pa, ma, ma, you know, syllable phonics in French, you know, mm -hmm. for the first couple of years. And of course the teacher speaks to you in French, but we'll also use English if you're not getting it or anything. And we had a, a teacher's assistant of some type in grade one who would take you everyone out individually for like extra um, intensive reading practice. And you she, she always had stale jube jubes, but you always got a jube jube as a reward at the end, but they were always stale. And the funny thing is, I saw her again not, when I went not, to not the Not sure how much of a reward that is. <laughs> I know, but that was just the most memorable thing. But, but then I saw her again, at, like uh, she was working at the junior high school when I got to grade eight. And I'm just like, I, you, grade one, you know, Madame LaDuke. I don't think she's going to be listening to this if she's still with us. She was always a you know steel-haired lady from the beginning so <laughs> no you know especially at five you have no concept of how old people adults are right so um but yeah that was interesting so most of my barriers had almost nothing to do with the vision because again at that age all the fonts are huge anyways nobody can write properly you know mm -hmm. it's all contrast and big fonts and letters and you know writing over half of the page on a slant with a backwards e or something you know and a lot of it is osmosis like you know except for after a point except for like english classes everything was in french you learned math in french first i learned gym class in french i learned you know um and that's not to say that we actually spoke french during all those classes we were supposed to speak french in um i do think uh hindsight which is haha -ha, the only 2020 i will ever have um I wish I'd, you know, put in a bit more effort because my my spoken ability with French, this is not uncommon with uh, French second language, which is uh, called francophile. So you're a francophone if it's your first language, you're a francophile if it's your second language. And um, I wish I'd, I'd worked a little harder on that because it's harder to get that back now that I'm actually, so I mentioned I've gotten a couple of opportunities with government jobs. I'm currently in a student summer program working in a department and a lot of half of the team is Quebec born. And so half of the team meetings are always in French. And when it's very specific topic and very specific words about that very specific topic, technical things, it's like, I'm sorry, what did you just say? But mm -hmm. it's forcing me to, to bring it back. And even when I was, yeah, you know, look, doing some of that conversational pronunciation stuff with Ginny and that was helping me practice. I'm starting to I went back on Duolingo, one of the language learning apps and started taking some of the French there because they had, uh, last time I looked at it, I challenged it all the way to the end and jumped straight ahead because I, I passed their test on it or whatever. And since then, you know, a couple of years ago, they've added more lessons to it. So I tried to challenge the next step and I didn't quite pass. <laughs> it's like, wow, okay, <laughs> you know, better practice again. I don't know if Duolingo specifically is accessible to anybody with screen readers but it is. I'm sure. Yeah. Oh, good. Relatively, relatively, yes. Relatively. Because so, they even have things like, they now have Klingon as a language you can learn on there. Oh, wow. And like <laughs> Valyrian from Game of Thrones and stuff. So it's, it's not just like, <laughs> you know, obscure, uh, you know, regular real world languages. Like even like there's Latin on there. Actually, I really wanted to, I always was that high school kid that wanted to take Latin if we had had it. <laughs> is there parcel Weird. tongue? 
<laughs> no. <laughs> Funnily enough, I don't I think there are any, like, you know, phonetic-only languages, even, like, some of the African languages that use clicks and stuff like that. I don't think there's any of those either. <laughs> I speak parcel tongue. Do you? Okay. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I'm just wondering if you guys have any advice for parents who are raising kids who are blind and interested in making sure that they learn another language or want them to do French immersion or, or anything. Don't like say no. I was just about to say that. Don't, don't, say, no. don't say no, because um, um, when I wanted to do it in high school, you know, try everything to at your disposal and more, do more research is also something I learned until you genuinely think that, this is just not something for your child. And it might not even have anything to do with their vision loss. They might take it and be like, I just don't have the knack for this, or I just don't want to do it. And that's something different. Um, just kind of saying no right away is, you know, like we say, placing those limits on the child. Let them figure out their own limits. I would say um, it's, there's kind of two different scenarios and a little bit different advice for each. If you're a parent looking at making a decision for your kid at an early age, putting them in a language immersion, or you know, even if it was private lessons separately outside of school or something, um, don't be afraid because they'll be able to do it, but you're gonna have to uh, advocate for them at that age and teach them how to do that as they grow up. Um, it, there's, you know, nowadays, it's, hopefully it's better than it would have been, you know, when I was, in elementary school in 2000 or whatever, you know, where like, because, because there's so much more like uh, Ginny and Clint were talking about like connection to the braille displays and stuff like that. So it's not, you know, well, we don't know how to do it, you know? Um, and especially if you're um, looking at putting your kid in early as well, um, I would suggest like, look, yeah, doing your research beforehand, like before it, you know, oh, we're putting, you know, Timmy's going to school in September this year. Uh, maybe start looking at it the year before and talking to the school district and stuff and see what you have to get in place. Um, and also, uh, if you don't speak that language as a parent, you should be prepared to uh, learn at least some basics, I think, to be able to help your child with homework and stuff like that. Like, none of my, neither of my parents speak French. And at that age, you know, you're the older sibling wasn't really helping the younger sibling with homework or anything, but my mom certainly picked up things and she still remembers things like uh, accent aigu and uh, accent grave and things like that, you know, because it's going to be a lot harder. Well, it's already hard if you can see and do homework in another language that your parents don't speak to help. And especially mm -hmm. again, back then we didn't just have Google translate or Google uh, other better <laughs> translation services. Um, so it's going to be even harder when you can't see the homework you're doing, the language you're learning. Um, so you're going to need more help from your parents. If you're looking at like taking an elective in high school or university, you're going to take more of the, the parent role in yourself and have to advocate for yourself or get help to advocate for you about, look, I really want to do this language. You know, can we not find some way to set this up, you know, and kind of fight for it a bit potentially. But again, you know, years pass technology gets better things are more accessible um and not just for disability accessibility but also just like location accessibility you can do an online course from six hours away or something like that you know you can do there's more access to things you want to do mm -hmm. 
I would say as to to parents, um, let 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 them try and like Ginny said, help them to find ways to do it. Uh, because there are there are options available, especially now. And if you don't know, uh, please please reach out to Sean, and she'll put you in touch with one of us. And I, at least speaking for myself, would be happy to do it because learning languages and helping other people find the fun in learning languages is a passion that I have um, and it's something that has developed as a language teacher. And just as somebody who has learned languages and seen how much fun it is and how much more it opens up your world once you get to. There, there are many, many reasons to learn a language and being able to keep up with sighted peers when they talk about what the most trendy anime is, especially if they like it, um, and then can watch it together because they don't have to be the only one who requests the dub um, if their friends don't like watching it, is going to be a great way for them to connect with people. And if you're a young person, same thing. Find ways to do it, and like Randy said, be prepared to buckle down and do some advocating. And it's not necessarily always going to be an easy road, but after nine years of traveling that road with Japanese, I can say that it was worth it the entire time. And again, reach out to Sean, reach out to Blind Beginnings, and they'll put you in contact with people who can hopefully help. If you're if you're wanting to or if you're considering French immersion for your child starting school, um, get in touch with the Provincial Resource Center for the Visually Impaired and they know they know who knows, you know, what, like who's done French immersion, who's had a blind student, who's done French immersion, those kinds of things too. Yeah. So, And not, not just French immersion as well. I think other languages are probably more out there now than they used to be. Mm -hmm. So whether it's French or Spanish or even Japanese, uh, I know people who have done Japanese in BC and so it has been done and so it can be done again. So people will put you in contact with the right resources. Awesome. I just wanted to say too, um, you know, if you can't do it academically, I know we've talked about this a bit, don't sell yourself short. There might be other ways to do it. Sometimes academically, you know, there, there is a pushback because they don't have the resources or maybe don't wanna put in the time cost for that. Absolutely. And then, then you do have to sadly use alternatives to satisfy that requirement if they're not going to give it to you. But that doesn't mean you cannot go and learn a language. And I think that was the hardest thing for me was when I withdrew from French and found the alternative. One, it was like a big relief because I was really, really struggling. But second, I was like, well, am I even cut out to learn a language? And that's not what it was about. I could have done it. I can probably still do it. Um, I just need to do it in an environment that suits my needs and maybe one that's not so time restrictive and has has grades attached Ab to it. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's that's the one other thing I would add is, yeah, academic options are not the only ones. There's yep, plenty totally. of websites online that will teach you a language. Duolingo is already mentioned. Uh, and often websites have, there are specific websites for specific languages. So if the academic situation and the advocacy doesn't work out, those are other options as well. And the last thing I'd say on that, and then I have a question for all, for all of you before we sign off, is that if you are struggling to learn a language, and especially if you're an adult who's chosen to take a language and is struggling, don't beat yourself up about it. And don't think you're not cut out for it because it is scientifically harder to learn a language as an adult than as a five-year-old child or whatever age child. Like it's just, 
Mm -hmm. I, I can't, you know, source anything for you to read, but it is just, that is just the fact. It is harder to learn a language later in life. There are benefits, uh, even just like in your brain structure and stuff. There's some, I think some evidence that uh, having multiple languages reduces risk of Alzheimer's and stuff like that. Cause your brain is just, I guess, worked more in different ways or something like that. But, um, you know, so don't, don't give up just because it's hard either. Now that we've talked about the languages we do know, who and do you have any plans for languages in the future or near future? So I actually am hoping in the next year or two to take Japanese and Latin at different times. I'm not taking them at the same semester. I'm not crazy. I was but... like, you are, you are such a challenger. Go <laughs> No, and not necessarily <laughs> in that order either. And like why I want to do those is Japanese has just kind of been interesting for a number of years for me. I would say Japan is like the top of my bucket list for travel to a non-English or French-based speaking country. Let's go. Uh, right? Okay. Go. When I have money. Um, and when I have in money. Latin, like I mentioned before, I just always wanted to take Latin in high school. Um, and a lot of, like Clement mentioned earlier, Spanish uh -huh. was pretty darn similar to French. And both of those and come Italian and a couple other things come from Latin. And I'm taking medical office administration right now for school. And that's all Latin. Well, Latin and Greek based, but heavily yeah. Latin based, you know, so satisfy my curiosity and improve some that way. And I'm just a nerd, really. But <laughs> amen to that. I should probably finish my French. <laughs> Well, but that's still kind of a new language for you. You've still only been doing that for a few months. This is a new one. Yeah, so I say, you know, whether that's just kind of doing it with friends, I do want to do it because it was like having teachers who were like, I want to see you go further. I think you should take more um, was really kind of like, wow, like, um, you know, teachers believing in you really motivates you. Um, also, I really want to learn to read and write Punjabi. Not sure how I'm going to do that. That's its own bucket of worms. Yeah. Is that the right expression? Can yeah. of worms. Can of worms. Can of worms. worms, bucket of fish. <laughs> bucket, bucket of, of fish um, with <laughs> some other difficulties. But I want to learn that. And this, again, not a language, but I don't know where to put it. I never know where to say it, but I also want to get my uh, certificates in different types of Braille. So I don't know where to put that, what it would qualify under. Mm. I really would love to i guess practice french more um i there was a time beginnings french club all right so uh, i was gonna say blind beginnings french club can we start one i would, I would join that john yeah. zoom blind maybe. beginnings french club maybe uh yeah i think there was a time when i was getting pretty good conversationally but um i'm very rusty now but when i really want to go to japan as well i really want to go to tokyo i i'm I'm learning that it is like one of the most accessible places. It so is. I really, really, and, and in order to do that, I'm going to have to know some Japanese, I think. So let's go, Sean. <laughs> so I might need to get some tapes, tapes. Are they called that anymore? Or check out this Duolingo. <laughs> it's actually YouTube channels <laughs> now. Okay. <laughs> it's not even TV hilarious <laughs> people used to listen in their cars right like yeah. learning a language now it's now and TikTok. Cord, now you use the aux cord right well now i don't have a car or some... a cd player so <laughs> and not all the cars have radio aux cord plugins either anymore oh boy anyways yeah so that's that's where i'm going but what about you clement i feel like you you know a lot already you got any others you want to uh... learn yeah, so I, I this this I don't know what brought this about, but in the last couple of years, I've really wanted to learn Malay. 
Uh, and part of it is, I think, I, I've started to realize in the last couple of years that uh, my, my heritage, especially on my mom's side, is very unique. Uh, because most people, when, when I say I'm Chinese, most people picture from Taiwan or Hong Kong or mainland China uh, or Singapore. Um, but I, I think being Chinese from Southeast Asia is very unique in the sense that the culture is a little different. Uh, the language is definitely different because it's kind of Mandarin and Malay all mashed up together. Um, and so I, I really would like to learn Malay because I want to get in touch with that side of my culture. Uh, despite my relatives all saying that it's a useless language because no one really speaks it, which is true. So is Latin. So is that. So is Latin. So is Elvish. I want to learn the no. <laughs> um. So is uh, Hatties, and uh, you know, and so I, I Latin, yeah, Malay is definitely up there on my list. Um, and so are um, Greek and Hebrew. Um, as as language as a Christian, I find sometimes I read. I love reading the Bible in English. I love reading it in Japanese. Um, but it would be amazing to dig at the original languages that they were written in um, and see what nuances that I'm missing when I read the English. Mm. Uh, so, But those are not immediate ones. Those are probably sometime during my lifetime. And uh, mm -hmm. that means I'm, that is code for I'm going to procrastinate on those because those are really <laughs> hard. Um, well, neither of them use the Latin alphabet, do they? Nope. Um, so that's going to be a whole challenge. Yes. Um, but Malay, I would say, is probably the most immediate one that I have in mind. I just have to actually kickstart myself into doing it. Cool. Well, bon chance. <laughs> Good luck with that. On va pratiquer le français dans le Zoom. On ne pratique pas, on fait répéter le français. Ouais, c'est ça. Guys, slower, slower. Okay, we need to wrap up, and I don't know how to say that in French, but merci beaucoup for coming and joining me for this conversation. Uh, I've learned a lot and um, look forward to hearing how the language learning progresses for all of you. Oui, merci beaucoup. Bonsoir. You've been listening to Limitless, the Blind Beginnings podcast. If you have a question, a comment, a future topic request, please send us an email to limitless at blindbeginnings.ca. Please share our podcast, like, subscribe, leave us a rating, and join us next time. This podcast has been brought to you by Blind Beginnings, an organization based in Vancouver, Canada, that supports children and youth who are blind or partially sighted, along with their families. Music for this podcast is composed by Sean Bishop and Clement Chow. Production and audio editing by Rob Minot. For more information about Blind Beginnings and the work it does to support children and youth who are blind and partially sighted, along with their families, visit us on the web at www.blindbeginnings.ca. And also remember to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We thank you for joining us, and we look forward to seeing you next time.